Well, welcome everybody. <laughs> this is weird. Yeah, that's right. Uh, exactly right. Um, this Friday, isn't Steve speaking at the well this Friday? Yes. Yeah, so if you know any singles, uh, is it just singles that are at the well? The well is a group, it's kind of like a post-college 20s group. Yeah. Kind of after after high school. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Is there a cap to it? I don't it's know. It's 20s? I honestly don't know. Okay. Um, yeah. Anyhow. Yeah. That Just so everybody knows, if you want to invite somebody or know somebody that might be interested, singles, um, that's this Friday night. So it should be absolutely wonderful. Um, yeah, well, let's just pray, and then I have a little wellness wisdom here. Lord, we come to you, and we thank you. I thank you for these faithful ones who have come, and we thank you for how you were with all the other ladies. I know that there's much prayer going up, and we are so thankful for your Holy Spirit coming. We need you, Lord. We cry out to you, and we need you to work in our lives and through our lives, Lord. So, Holy Spirit, would you come and facilitate this evening? And I just pray for each one here that their hearts will be encouraged and lifted. We thank you for bringing healing um, into each one, Father, that Melissa's neck. We just agree together upon that healing prayer for her and what you're doing in her life. So, Lord, thank you, uh, even as Liz pops in and out in different places, Lord, that you would just be with her and minister to her tonight. So uh, as we move forward, Father, we exalt you, we praise you, and we glorify you that, you're, that you would be exalted and blessed and these ladies would be ministered to tonight through your word and through fellowship. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, did you know there's a direct correlation between eating physically and spiritually? you ever really thought about the direct correlation? And um, I was looking at this. This is a natural grocer's thing. And I was thinking about this. And then I saw the article and I thought, wow, that's great. So here's, um, take one and then turn in here to page 10. And, yep, yeah, yeah. And um, I do too. I do too, and these are on sale for $2.29 uh, this month. Anyhow, detoxing body and spirit. Um, you know, whenever we focus on God's design and align, we find freedom and healing. And the thing that really stood out to me, it says, what's, what is a toxin? And um, I think we need to be vigilant about uh, what goes into our body our mind, and our spirit, even more our spirit. Um, what is a toxin? And simplest, right up in the beginning here, in the simplest terms, toxins are harmful agents found in the environment that may accumulate in the human body causing ill health and disease. It's the same thing for our mind. It's the, sa it's the same thing for our spirit. If we're taking things in that are toxic, it's going to hinder how we're able to think and how we're able to trust the Lord and walk in freedom. Um, and then over here on the right, the, this column right here on page 10, how, how your body normally detoxes. And just think as I read through this, think of it, um, spirit, soul, and body for all of them. While the kidneys are important for acting as a filtration mechanism for your blood and removing waste from the body, 
It's the liver that shines when it comes to detoxification. Along with filtering your blood to remove toxins, your liver uses a two-phase process to break down toxins and move them out of the body. During phase one, toxins are broken into smaller fragments, and in phase two, the toxins are bound to other molecules, creating a neutralized molecule that can be excreted in bile, urine, or stool. It is important that both, phase, both phases are working efficiently to prevent a toxic backup in the liver. But for this liver detoxification to effectively work, your body must have adequate nutrients. If not, the phase one and two processes may not work adequately, which can leave toxic substances to build up in your body. A basic way to support your body's natural ability to toxify is to ensure you are getting optimal amounts of these nutrients. And so it's not so much what we are not doing that's so important. That's important to take certain things out. Like Sandra was just saying that, that she's cut her French fry consumption in half in a week. So she went from two orders of french fries to one. <laughs> but that's a step in the right direction, right? And what else? So that's, that's good. But what have you started doing? What have you started putting in? Oh, I started drinking my salads. I got some of that protein mix that mm -hmm. Jan has because she brought it here. And I thought, I ain't going to like this. And I liked it. I was <laughs> so surprised. <laughs> and, I, and the thing, I or craved that. Orgain from it Costco. I craved it. And I really hate things that I crave yeah. on the whole because I've, I've had that with the drinks from... Usually they're not good for you. Yeah. Yeah, but this is good for you. Yeah. Your body is craving that. So yeah. Been, uh, Putting kale and blueberries. Yeah, organic spring mix. Mm -hmm. And I, so far I've had something that's more fluid and then the other is, was more... I need to add more almond milk in yeah. this because this is, you know, we get spoon it out of the thing. Yeah, yeah. So I, I haven't quite got the, the ratios right. She's home. Jay needed her home, and she wasn't, she wasn't feeling that great, and Jay needed her, so she's home. What is it? Oh, yeah, the big, good, yes. I like drinking them. I, I can't chew them because I don't have any bacteria. Yeah, yeah. But this is, this is the thing. We take out, here's reducing your toxic load is what it talks about. And so spirit, soul, and body, we need to reduce our toxic load, whether it's what we're watching or listening to, whether what we're eating or what we're thinking about in our spirit. But also what's more important is what we're putting in, is to begin putting in the right things, spirit, soul, and body. And it says here, there's a few things. It says um, sulfur-rich foods like garlic, eggs, and onions. Beets help keep the blood clean. Leafy greens supply alkalizing minerals and chlorophyll herbs and spices. Fermented foods, fermented veggies, um, whatever. And these are the things that actually help take the toxins out. So when you're putting the word in, you're, you're not going to be put something else in. And when you put the word in, it helps take out the toxins. So it's, it's, um, it's, I heard it, I don't know if it was Steve or maybe, um, George, or maybe it was you, take a, a muddy glass of water, this is us, a muddy glass of water, and you keep pouring clean water in it, and it's going to be clean eventually. Yeah, it, it does. That's right. But if we will restrain, if we reject the things that aren't good for us, the thought patterns, mm -hmm. 
that are lies and not true, if we reject um, just the attacks of the enemy, we reject those things, we reject the french fries or the whatever, you know, whatever it is, um, that like french fries, potatoes make my joints really inflamed. They make my joints sore. So I love them. I, I could sit down and eat a bunch of them. So I'm with you on the french fries. But I feel better when I don't. So anyhow, we need to be vigilant. Um, uh, and one of the things that I was thinking that, that is a toxin that has just come up recently is the, um, in our spirit, really, I don't know if y'all are familiar, I'm sure you're familiar with the book and the movie, The Shack. And, and, um, and so it just came out last Friday. The movie did? Yes. And yeah, yeah, the book is back out. Yeah. 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 Um, well, I I can send you a link where you can find out more about it. But there's there's 13 different heresies that go along with it, and I'm just really concerned because um, is Michael is anybody familiar with Michael Youssef? He's yeah. He's he's a. Yeah. 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 Leading the way. Leading the way. Just a solid, solid minister of the gospel who's been around for years. He's out of Atlanta, but originally from the Middle East? I think so. Yeah. 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 Michael Youssef. Anyhow, he, in his 33 years of being a pastor, he's never missed a sermon or interrupted a sermon series but three times to address a book of this nature. And because it directly, it goes in and it affects how people see the Trinity, how people see God, how it, uh, and the, the man who, well, do you remember the quote that we started the study with? I think y'all were here. From A.W. Tozer, that what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Oh, did. Before then, not yeah. Then, but I'm like, Why don't I hear this? Yeah. My heart for for y'all and for the ladies of our church is to have a a heart to discern, learn to discern, because in these times it says even that it was at Matthew twenty four twenty four, in the last days even the elect will be yeah. deceived, and so um, we need to be vigilant about what is true and what is not. Um, I thought it was interesting that it's a fictional story by Paul Young, William P. Young. He goes by Paul Young. And he's the son of two missionary parents from New Guinea. And he went to Bible school. And because of some pains and wounds in his life, he ended up not hearing things totally right. And he has embraced the Christian universalism doctrine. And this is about Christian universalism, that... Everybody goes to heaven. God would too good to send anybody to hell. That God can be a man or a woman. And I mean, there's 13 different things um, in there. And we, we really need to be like the Bereans from Acts 17:11 and study these things out in the word to be so. And because it's fiction, most Christians just take it as a fictional story. But it's directly talking about God and the Trinity. And it's, it's not who God says he is. Sounds like he has an agenda. He did have an agenda. He did have an agenda. It's the universalist doctrine that has taken the church out in Europe. 
It has, and it is systematically coming through America, and people believe this. People are buying it by the cases and handing it out, saying, saying this, yeah. I've never felt love like that before. I mean, it's a very, from what I understand, a very emotionally engaging book. Um, and so, but we can't be led by our emotions, and we can't be led by our, by our experiences. So here you have a man who, because of his experiences and his wounds, he's going to change the Trinity. He's going to change who God says he is through the Bible to what meets his need. He's a pastor. No. He was, uh, this man was the son of two missionary parents from New Guinea. He went to Bible school. And he told his professor that I have, I have embraced the Christian universalist doctrine. And so um, he is, that's, that's his, his push. And I like this um, quote by a response to, to this movie um, by P. Caldon um, from March 3rd. It says, God does not ignore sin and error in order to love us. Sin had to be paid for, hence the cross. While we should not judge the world, we are called to accountability in our lives toward each other regarding our sins as Christians. We do not ignore truth in order to embrace God's love. We, God will not compromise his word, which is truth, in order to save us. While this movie may bring up discussions and such that can lead to salvation for some, the lies about central truth, you see, the lies about central truth about God must not be ignored. The errors in this book are, not, are no mistake and strike at the core of who God and Jesus are. Christians aren't Pharisees if they look out, if they look, if they call out the lies that are perpetrated in this work of fiction. Rather, they are standing for God's truth. There is one way to God, Jesus. Any other gospel, good news, is not of God and should be resisted no matter how loving it makes us feel. Isn't that well put? I thought he really, in this 91 different, I didn't read all of them, but I, you know, so many of them are emotional, so many of them are experiential, but I really felt like he encapsulated in his response um, how we need to stand as Christians. Um, we need to be loving, yes, but we need to stand with the truth. Um, and here's the thing here. Barbara Mauser says, It is not true that because God is a transcendent spirit, we should start calling him it or, or she. Um, she says, We should love the God of the Bible as the masculine spirit that he has revealed himself to be. It is true. And in this movie, um, uh, God can be a man or a woman type thing. I mean, he's, he's um, presented... Well, he calls himself male. He calls himself masculine from the, from the New Testament, from the beginnings of the Bible to the end. Um, but anyhow, we should love the God of the Bible as the masculine spirit that he has revealed himself to be. It is true that we as finite beings cannot fathom or comprehend fully the infinite God. The only way finite creatures know anything is through the created categories that God has made and revealed. God reveals himself as masculine in plain language through all the created categories from Genesis to Revelation. In all his names, types, offices, and visions, God reveals himself as he. He is king, judge, shepherd, warrior, priest, prophet, husband, father, brother, and bridegroom. Even the Passover lamb is specified to be male without blemish. 
Jesus taught us to pray, Our Father. In the Gospel of John alone, God is called the Father over a hundred times. God is never called the Mother. Never. He is never called it. Jesus deliberately and repeatedly refers to the Holy Spirit as He rather than it in John 14, 15, and 16. He once even breaks the rules of Greek grammar to do so in John 16, 13. From the beginning of the Bible to the end, God calls himself he. And he wants us to think of him as a masculine spirit. He has created, he created male and female. He created every woman with a feminine spirit and every man with a masculine spirit. Men are the glory of God from Ephesians 11:7, And women are the glory of God. Women are the glory of man. So, I mean, if somebody continually referred to me as a man, it would bother me now I know God loves us and he forgives us but I don't think he likes us calling him a woman would you like to be called a man repeatedly when you identify yourself as a woman you know yeah a guy would punch I would absolutely bite scratch kick yeah Uh, so anyhow, just, you know, that just a, an FYI, a heads up, because there's Christians that are handing out the book that are going to the movie to be encouraged to see who God is. And I just think we have to be discerning. Really we have to be wise. It never dawned on me that God identifies himself as me. I just, yeah, man, I know. I you and a lot of people. Yeah. That, that's the thing that, I, that made me mad about that book. I'm like, but see, deep within, you know that. Deep within, because we're created in God's image. And it's there, but if we resist it, our hearts get hard to the truth. But you were able to recognize the truth. I read it like 10 years ago. When yeah, I when it first came out. Right? And I didn't even realize what I didn't like about it, but I... It didn't, didn't sit like, right. I didn't yeah. like it. Yeah. I was just like, I don't know why, but I hate all, all these Christian people who are like, oh, it's a great book, you have to read it. And I was like... Mm. No, I don't. I read it too, and I'm like, oh. Just like Fifty Shades of Grey, this will, this will spark your marriage. This will help. That's yeah. oh. sadomasochism. We, we have to be discerning. We have yeah. to be discerning. We have to be like the Bereans. What does the word say? Is this so? And the more we get into the end times, the last days, the more we need to look at our Bibles and go by them. Well, you know, you, you said why they go to a movie to know God. Why would you go to a movie well, it's easy, right? when Hollywood's yeah. got its because, finger? Because it is so emotional. It is ve- it's a very emotional book. It really draws you in. I've read parts of it. I mean, because several people gave it to me to read, and I just, I couldn't. I couldn't read it, but it's, it's very, I was emotional for a different reason because it didn't register. That's what Michael Youssef had talked about. Yeah. So if y'all want, I can send you a link that has the 13 heresies that are listed. And then at the end of it is a, um, there's a talk that Michael Youssef did when the the book came out years ago. That's when his talk is from. And he goes through and unpacks it and talks about the importance of of being being discerning and uh, where uh, Paul Young was coming from. So... Anyhow, so in the, from the book of Ephesians, for the last four and a half chapters leading up to Ephesians 5, 22 to 33, are the, it's a preparation for a great marriage. Um, 
and last week we did Ephesians 5, 15 to 20, and particularly important because they are the result of the, that's the result of the first four chapters that pre- prepares our hearts for this sacred romance with the Lord. Healthy relations with others and amazing marriage with your spouse. So this is, this is what the, the sacred romance is. If, and the thing is, if both the husband and the wife are doing what God has called us to do in the first four and a half chapters of Ephesians, receiving what God has given us, seeing what he's done, receiving what he's given us, and obeying the walks and the don't walks, walk this way, don't walk this way, the corner of walk and don't walk that we talked about, in their hearts, they will experience an amazing marriage as well. Often, all we hear about is divorce rate, right? We hear about how this marriage is failing, how that marriage is failing, how how, you know, it's a far, you know, if you're getting married, oh, poor thing, you know. But you know what? Everybody has a 100% chance of having a great marriage and having success in their marriage when they do it the way the designer created it to do, created us to live it out. And I just think we need to talk about how we do have, we can have success in our marriage. We can have success in our families when we do it the way God designed it to be done. If you went and put diesel and your gasoline engine, it's not going to work well because it's not designed for that. Well, society makes, I mean, like you say, you hear, oh, you poor thing. Yeah. It's going to drag you down. Right, yeah. You do what you want to do. Yeah. That's what you hear when people are getting married all the time, which think it's so bad. It is. Well, they don't, they don't know the truth. Whatever. And a lot of that comes from wounds and from significant male figures that have um, hurt them or disappointed them or violated them. Mm-hmm. And so we, you know, women have hardened their hearts to it. I, um, I went to a funeral in Kansas uh, over the, the weekend. And uh, when I got back, Diane called when I wasn't there. And she thanked Scott for allowing me to go. Mm. And he goes, does she think I rule over you like that? Mm-hmm. Like I can tell you what you're going to do, and you know we mm-hmm. that that do women get permission like that from? I mean, well, then he just he allowed you to go. I mean, he could have said, "Honey, I'd really prefer you to stay home," but he didn't. He said, "Go, no, he's yeah, like, go." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, sometimes. <laughs> well, Ephesians okay. five twenty two to 33 in the Amplified, it talks about marriage like Christ in the church. And I love, I mean, these, just these, these few verses here. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as a service to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife as Christ is head of the church, himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives should be subject to their husbands in everything, respecting both their position as protector and their responsibility to God as head of the house. And then, um, do you ever think of your part of marriage as worship to the Lord for those who are married? I used to when I was married. Yeah. But single or married, here's the thing I really, I want you all to to really think about what what we just read there, this is what Christ is asking for from the church. So don't just think of this as a husband and a wife. Think of this as this is what Jesus, because it's saying marriage like Christ in the church. This is what Jesus is asking for from us, whether we're married or single, whether we're divorced. It doesn't matter. This is what he's asking for from us 
as the body of Christ. Um, we really, what? Yeah, no, no, go ahead. I'm, I'm just You're processing? Yeah, Does I'm that, thinking. Okay. I'm thinking because Scott, I wouldn't have had to, I would never have had to ask permission from him because I know his heart. Yeah. You know, if, if we've got a friend that is hurting and they're mm -hmm. in another town, mm -hmm. if it's his friend, uh, you know, I, hey, you go, you mm -hmm. you take care of what you need to. And mm -hmm. if it was mine, then I go and I take care. I made sure you had plenty of stuff to eat. Sure, yeah. And, and like that. But I wouldn't have, I, I didn't ask for permission yeah. because it was understood that, because I know his heart. Yeah, right. Well, you, you know, all have an understanding. You have an understanding. But if it, if he had, if he had said, you know, let me know, and let's talk about it before you go off or something like that, then, well, then, yeah, so let's look at these verses as the sacred romance between Christ and the church, because we have to get that in the core of our being. I think so often we go into marriage and we don't understand what it represents. We don't understand that marriage represents the picture of Christ in the church. And that's what marriage does represent. And that's what being a Christian represents. So um, how God is asking wives to submit and to honor their husbands is picturing how God desires each one of us. Um, I want to introduce you to Vodi Bakum up here, and I hope it'll come on again. Um, but he is he's a husband, a father, a pastor, apologist, a missionary, a speaker, and accomplished martial arts and Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He, in college, he was, I guess he was a football player. But anyhow, I really like the way he, he unpacks these, um, these four verses. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. I'd never heard that before. I thought that was really, really good. Uh, I don't think anybody thought, oh. Okay. Oh, you did? <laughs> what did y'all think about that? Okay. God, I really enjoyed it. And it's like, it's longer than what I normally do. But I thought, this is just, it's just, I love the way he unpacks it. I, I couldn't, I couldn't. Um, yeah, just on YouTube. He has a lot of stuff on YouTube. B-A-U-H-A-M. No, B-A-U. I think I misspelled it on there. B a u c h a m. I missed the c in there. So the title of that one was it just Ephesians? Uh, on Ephesians five, if you just put in a, his name in Ephesians. 5. Yeah, um, yeah. Just Vody Bakum Ephesians five, and it'll come up. No, that's next week. Yeah, <laughs> Ephesians five. <laughs> we did we did Ephesians five because this is the first one that we split up. There's so much in five one to twenty one. And then it was just too much to cover. Twenty-two to thirty-three—it's—it's it's huge to try to cover all of that. So, yeah. Well, but it's—it's it's not about whether you're married or not. It's about. I know that. Right. Yeah. 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 So, um, if you you look at these verses here, of. Have you ever thought about that God is telling us to do in these four verses from 22 to 24 and then you add in at the end of the chapter 33 to um, 33b is this is to women. 
is a key to our men being able to do what he's charged them to do in the nine verses from 25 to 33a. Have you ever thought about that? That what we do as women doing these verses, what we do as the church, what happens as the church, as the body of Christ, if we don't submit ourselves to Jesus Christ? If you just look at these verses in light of um, if we don't submit ourselves to Jesus and serve him, if we don't see him as the head of us as Christians, if, um, and then it says himself being the Savior, if we don't see him as the Savior of our body, if, that if he's not worthy to be our Savior, if we, don't, if we don't honor him as our Savior, then we reject the cross and the sacrifice of what he's done. But as the church is subject to Christ, so there again, we have to submit ourselves to Christ so also wives are subjected themselves to the husbands and everything, respecting both their position as protector and their responsibility to God as head of the house. When we do this as a Christian, then we open our hearts up and the Lord is able to come in and work in our lives. But if we say, that's okay, I don't need a Savior. I am no way going to submit myself to a God I can't see. What is that going to do to our walk with the Lord? What does that do with intimacy and oneness? It's not there. Well, I was going to take you to a movie. But what about, like, we believe already submits to Jesus and life is so overwhelming mm -hmm. at times that I don't think about that because I get so anxious about what's going on and every, or my focus is on that and I don't even realize that I'm not mm -hmm. submitting. Mm -hmm. Like, I woke up today, I'm like, okay, God, I totally wasted yesterday. Just help me with this day. Yeah. And I look down. My Bible's open on the couch from the day before or whatever, and, and I read this verse again. Wake up, O oh sleeper, rise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. Yeah. And on with the rest of these verses. Yes, yes. So very fitting that you're doing these verses because I didn't know that you were. Wow. And then also on the 7th, it was that again. Yeah. I'm like, I am so preoccupied. I just, I need prayer for that. Well, and it is, a, it is a choice. We have to continually, everybody has anxieties. Everybody has challenges. Everybody has wounds and hurts. We have to keep taking our mind back to the Lord, submitting ourselves over and over. I didn't just submit to Denny on the day we got married. It has been a continual honoring of his position of authority that God created him to walk in. I didn't just, when I received Christ as my Savior, when you all received Christ as your Savior, that's not the only time you submitted to Christ. Mm -hmm. It's on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And what does that mean, submitting? That means aligning my mind with his. That means learning his truth and learning his design so we can align and walk in it. So it's a direct correlation between marriage and between being Christians, being in oneness with Christ. So, <clears throat> um, let's see, where were we? So, let's read here about, so this is a direct command. So, there's four verses for women, 22 to 24 and 33b. And there's nine verses for men, 25 to 33a, that God's talking to. So, God calls men to be responsible. We're all to be responsible. He calls women to be pure. We're all to be pure, but this is the, the heading over men. Be responsible. Be sacrificial. That's right. That's what, because it reflects God. It reflects Christ. What did he do? He came and he died in his sacrifice. And so this is what, this is what men are to reflect. The, 
to be um, priest, king, brother, father, son. These are things that he's called men to be, to be the glory of God. And he's called women to be the glory of man. And we can only do that when we submit to the authority that God's created. So really, first of all, you're not submitting to your husband. The first place you're submitting to is God's design. So when, you, when, you, when I look at it that way, it makes a big difference. Because I know Denny and I are equal in value. But I'm honoring God by honoring my husband. I'm honoring God by honoring Jesus and allowing Jesus to be my head. Before Denny, before Pastor Steve, before any other worldly, earthly authority, Jesus is my head. Um, so it says, husbands, love your wives. Seek the highest, in verse 25, seek the highest good for her and surround her with a caring, unselfish love just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Do you see how God is, he's directly putting in here, um, he's making this direct correlation between what he created marriage to be and his love for his bride. So that he might sanctify the church, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word of God, so that in turn he might present the church to himself and glorious splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy, set apart for God, and blameless. See this thing of purity, set apart. I mean, a man doesn't want a wife that, that every man in the neighborhood has access to. He wants that singular oneness. God wants that singular oneness with us. He doesn't want us worshiping any other gods. And the act of sex and marriage is a sign of worship, of intimacy. There is no sex in heaven, so you can take that out of your mind. That's just here for this world, and it pictures the oneness, the one covenant that we have. I know it, it gets kind of confusing that way, but the way there's a one covenant with a husband and wife on this earth is the way God wants to have that intimacy, that, that one covenant with us in our spirit. Okay. Um, what? I, I would not have understood that 20 years ago. Yeah. But after meeting Scott and Marion and Pam, I understand. It's, it's the relationship that makes it work. Anything else is just yeah. Yeah. Try to explain it to your kids, too, because we've hmm? Try to explain it to your kids, yeah. too, because we've been trained. Yeah, especially when you when they hit the hormones, then it's just like the yeah. brain goes sideways. Yeah. Right. Well. That's why living it out is so important. Right. Living it, being that example before them is what yeah. we try to do, you know, in yeah. our fallen world. Right. <laughs> you're not submitting to your husband. You're submitting to God. Yeah. And being obedient to him. Mm-hmm. I was in a very abusive marriage. And right. I carried that piece of it. Yes. With me in all walks of life. Work. Um, I was a CNA for many years after my husband walked out on us. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to wipe people's butts, and that was a ministry. Yeah. And then you get a boss that is just a horrible person and tries to make your life miserable. Yeah. And it makes it hard. God doesn't call us to submit to that authority. And if we, if we look at what... As unto the Lord. As unto the Lord. But even if you want to see how Jesus handled fallen authority, how did he deal with the Roman government? You look, he dealt with fallen authority. 
He had this, he submitted to that authority. He honored them. Even in, even here, the son of God honored fallen authority. He didn't agree with them. Like the money, the taxpayer, what did he say? He's Render to Caesar what Caesar's. Caesar's. Yeah. yeah. So that he understands us having leaders that are husbands that are fallen. Just like, and just when it makes us hard to submit when they are walking in their fallenness. It makes it hard for them to lead when we are walking in our fallenness. So when we submit, you see, we can't be saved as much. God has sacrificed for us. He's given his life for us. That's for the cross. He can't save us unless we submit to him. Our husbands can't love us and, and, and really sacrifice for us. They can sacrifice for us, but we don't receive it unless we subject ourselves to them out of fear of the Lord, out of honor towards God. Does that make sense? Okay. Even so, in verse 28, even so husbands should and are morally obligated to love their own wives as being, in a sense, their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own body, but instead he nourishes and protects and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members, parts of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall be joined and be faithfully devoted to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. This mystery of two becoming one is great. But I am speaking with reference to the relationship of Christ and the church. However, each man among you, without exception, is to love his wife as his very own self. With behavior worthy of respect, and esteem, always seeking the best for her with an attitude of loving kindness. That is the way a husband is to love his wife. We've all, we, men are fallen just like we're fallen. And they are pushing, if they're a good-hearted man, they're pushing to learn God's design. Just like we, as good-hearted women, are pushing and leaning into the Lord to learn and obey God's design. So, um, and then... So, but this, that right there, this is how God loves us. What we've just read there, this is how Christ loves the church. This is how God loves us, ladies. And, you know, I mean, I just think he, to be spotless, to see us without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, you know, this is, God sees us as radiant. He loves us. You know, I notice the cellulite on the back of my legs. Denny doesn't. <laughs> You know, there's things that we get caught up with that God doesn't even notice or care about. We see our flaws. He doesn't. And we need to see ourselves through his eyes. So, and then hear what it says in 33b. Wife, and the wife must see to it that she respects and delights in her husband, that she notices him and prefers him and treats him with loving concern, treasuring him, honoring him, and holding him dear. Do you think any of that would help a man step up and be more likely to lead? I mean, we can't make them lead. No, you can't. <laughs> but when we do our part, that's really all we're responsible for. That's all we're accountable for. What they do is what they do is under the Lord, and they're accountable for their part. Treat them like the 
and they are so that they will learn to walk in love. Mm -hmm. What was the first part of what you said? Treat them. Yes, treat them. The best person that they are. Don't look at their flaws. Yeah. Just like Christ looks at us. We're to love them with that unconditional love. Yeah. In truth. Right. Deep within being. Well, if we, well, if we treat them, yeah, it's our part to treat them like the man we desire them to be. Right. Or the man that we know that they can be. The exactly. Like exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's a truer, a truer statement. We're to treat them like the man that God's created them to be, not in their fallenness. Just like we want them to treat us like the woman that God has created us to be not noticing all of our faults. We want them to notice our loveliness and our faithfulness. We, they want us to notice anything that they do that's positive. And if we will notice that and accentuate that instead of the negatives, remember the old song, accentuate the positives, eliminate the negatives, don't mess with mystery in between. So that's what we need to be doing. Um, leaving you uh, just with a... Um, a thought, uh, this right here, you thought this was just my stand. The picture of Christ in the church. You see the heart? But you know what's so amazing is we have our part to play. Oh, how'd you do that? That was clever. This is the way I found it. I found it this way. But it's Christ in the church. He is our foundation. And when we submit ourselves to him and become one with him, then the world sees in our marriage as husband and wife, they see God's love. Your children see God's love. You are the first picture they ever see of the church. Your husband is the first picture they ever see of Christ. And so you walking it out and modeling it to the best of your ability by God's grace is the best picture you can give them. Teaching them the word, yes. But it, this is the picture that we have. Um, so, we are created in God's image. And just what does that mean? If you think about it, God so loved that he gave. Jesus so obeyed that he sacrificed. And the Holy Spirit comforts and empowers us to believe and live it out. This is what it is to be made in the image of God. Being imitators of God is what makes for great marriages. Loving, giving, sacrificing, comforting, and encouraging. These attributes make for great relationships, whether in marriage, and as we'll study next week, families, the workplace, and community. This is God's design for us. Remember your who and your do. We talked about your who, who you are, and what do you do. Your who and your do. Your who? Be loved of God. If you write be dash loved, be loved. If you think about that, ladies, be loved. You are beloved. Be loved. And your do? Love. When you embrace your belovedness, then you're able to love. 